passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of WrestleNomics Radio. I'm Brandon Thurston, broadcasting live and on demand from Buffalo, New York, where today is Sunday, November 13th, 2022. We are not joined today by Chris Gullo. We, our, our investigation has concluded, and he has gone to the Bills game for the day. But we are here with Jesse Collings, who last week I referred to as His Excellency. But he, he, he is still excellent, and here, here he is to join us. Yeah, no, surprise. I wasn't expecting to be on WrestleNomics this weekend, but my travel plans got delayed, so I was able to make a surprise appearance. Otherwise, Brandon would have just been talking to himself for... 90 minutes and would have just slowly gone crazy looking at different charts and graphs about 18 to 49 and year over year viewership declines. We would have gone back to the 2020 era of WrestleOmics Radio where it was a solo adventure into the mind of Brandon Thurston, but no. Um, but we have here to talk about today. Uh, AEW is about to go and have its first pay-per-view since the apparent exit of, of CM Punk. That's not official or anything. But uh, this coming Saturday, right? It is Saturday. I'm going to be there. I'm going to um, New York, New Jersey this this weekend. Um, and I will be in attendance. I have gotten approved for media access. So I will be participating in the post-pay-per-view presser. A um, post-pay-per-view presser is going to ha- take place. I believe so. so Remember, Tony because Con- we haven't had one since the the, the incident. Right. Well, but they only happen on, on the pay-per-views, right? So there hasn't been a pay-per-view since then. Mm-hmm. And, and Tony Khan did say in, a, in an interview with Sports Illustrated, I believe with your, with your friend, Justin Barrasso, he did, uh, did say that there would continue to be post-pay-per-view press conferences. They want to call them scrums, but I, I think they're press conferences. Um, that, that, that's right. And, and I did ask, you know, I would like to participate. And I was told, yeah, well, okay, your approval will give you information. So they, and so they approved you. They didn't approach it like uh, maybe some media, they, they, you, you weren't a media member that was going to trigger any of the talents. That was not discussed, but <laughs> no, but I, but I, I do plan on being there. Um, you were in Boston. You attended as media this past yes. week's Dynamite slash Rampage taping, correct? Yes. How was that? Uh, it was, it was good. It was, uh, I thought, you know, it's funny. It's, it's so hard for me to evaluate the, um, the shows, like the actual quality of the shows while I'm there. Cause I enjoyed the shows, both dynamite and rampage. thought they were both good wrestling shows. I'm sure people watching at home enjoyed them, but it's always hard for me to figure out like how much of it is a live experience versus how much of it is the viewer at home. And, um, one thing I will say about AEW is that they need to do something with their crowd miking because I was at the show and the crowd was really hot. They were popping huge for 
all of the things that you'd expect them to pop huge for. Um, and then when I went back and watched some of the matches that I saw, you could tell that the crowd was reacting big, but you couldn't really hear them. And I'm not sure if that was because on, like a, a purposeful decision. There were maybe some chants that were going on that weren't appropriate for television. What but I was watching were there that wouldn't be appropriate for television. Oh, like people saying the F word, like F you Sammy okay. and things like that. Um, and I noticed that particularly during the Sammy Guevara, Brian Danielson match, where when I was at that show live, like Sammy Guevara hits the shooting star press to the outside by Brian Daniel onto Brian Danielson. And everyone live is like, Oh, making a big, you know, a big pop, big reaction to that move as you would expect. But then when I watched it back, it's like, you can clearly hear that the audio of the crowd has been turned down. The announcers are a little bit louder than the you normally would hear. And I think that has to do with the trying to, cuss out the, the cut out the vulgarity from the crowd but it does create this weird atmosphere where it doesn't feel like the product is as hot as it as it is um we talked about crowd sweetening i didn't i didn't watch any of rampage yet so i don't i can't tell you if there was like post show crowd sweetening i thought the the crowd was pretty lively by by rampage standards when I went to the last Dynamite taping or Dynamite Rampage taping, which was in Worcester, Mass, mm-hmm. um, tons and tons and tons of people left for Rampage, especially by the time the main event rolled around. Um, definitely a lot of people left this week, but way more people stuck around. And is that because you know, the main event was Orange Cassidy versus Lee Johnson? Um, maybe that was a factor. I think the show being in Boston as opposed to Worcester, which is about an hour away from the greater Boston area. Maybe it was a factor in people wanting to leave early, but I did notice that um, when I was leaving in the um, other takeaways were the crowd was not the same size as it was in previous stops in the area. Mm-hmm. That was something that we've talked about a lot on this yeah. show. Brandon we got from Russell ticks. 3,609 was the tickets distributed count, which is down from, 5,700 the time before, yes. down from so, 5,600 the time before that. Mm-hmm. So are one of those two, are those all again, the Aganis Arena shows in Boston? I think so, but that's the only venue they've ran in Boston. Right, I'm right? just, I'm, well, they've run the Worcester DCU Center. Um, I don't know if you count that as a separate. Down here as, I don't know why Worcester doesn't have, have a number here. Yeah, but, I think Worcester did about 6,000. It's a little bit bigger of a venue, so they can mm-hmm. seat uh, more than... But um, yeah, I, know. I think I saw Russell Tick, uh, Dave. I think had it as thirty nine hundred um, in the Observer. But and it, so it wasn't as big. But I was kind of concerned about like, oh, I'm going to go there and it's going to feel like this down atmosphere because there's going to be a crowd that's like half the size there. But you know, the 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 floor seats were all sold out. The hard cam section was all sold out. I was sitting opposite uh, or on the same side as the hard cam, so my section wasn't there's a lot of emptiness in my section and there was a lot of emptiness on that kind of um, periphery sections that were kind of, you know, very close to the, the stage and things like that. But it didn't feel like the, the it didn't feel, I went there and I, it didn't feel like the, the crowd was less engaged in the product than they had been in the past. It didn't feel like the crowd was down on the product um, at all. It didn't feel like this was a company that was losing momentum, despite the fact that there was less people in the building. Tony Khan, I heard was not booed. No, and you know what's funny, Brandon, is I tweeted that out and I said, like, Tony came out and he got cheered and um, P- 
people were telling me that like, oh, he never got booed or he got booed once and that was it. I, I thought that had been kind of a consistent trend that had been reported from other shows that he was, was getting – I was in attendance where he definitely got a mixed reaction, which was the yeah, first time a mixed reaction a is a a mixed reaction is probably a closer definition to what I'm talking about than saying booed. Mm-hmm. Um, like people were just booing him, but it was definitely – I mean when I was at the show in Worcester, uh, which would have been a few weeks after all that, I think – um, he was booed. And Worcester, uh, they've only been to once. Is that right? Right. They don't. That was the. They've only been to the Worcester Arena once. Mm-hmm. Um. So I, he was definitely booed during that period a little bit. A mixed reaction, I guess. And I had that heard that. How, the, how long after All Out they went to Worcester? Now, now I'm gonna get. Um, I'm, I'm gonna look it up because now I'm concerned that perhaps it was before All Out. I can't really remember. I think you know what? It was definitely before All Out because it was definitely closer okay. in the summertime. Um, okay. so maybe I'm, I'm misremembering things. Uh, but I, I don't know. I guess he's not getting booed anymore or he's not getting a mixed reaction anymore. I wonder if the, you know, you know, in the immediate aftermath of, of the all out scenario, like hangman page was getting mixed reactions too. Um, mm-hmm. there were definitely some people that were, I think not on the side of hangman page in the elite. I wonder if that will be noticeable when the elite come back as on screen characters, which has to be happening pretty soon. Um, one other note is that in the post, um, post dynamite show, um, Tony Khan came out and he said that as he always does, he, he put, he probably does this everywhere. He put over Boston huge. He put over the crowd. He said that we're one of the best crowds that they have. And we had, we had the best rampage crowd he's ever had seen before, which I don't know how he's quantifying that. Um, everyone is the best one. Right. I assume this is somewhat of a pitch. And then he did say that he feels like Boston, this market, this area, maybe not this arena, would be a place where I can see us having a pay-per-view one day, which I thought was interesting. It didn't seem like – like, does he say that everywhere? Um, We don't have a date for Revolution or a location yet for Revolution. Mm Um. I'm sure Boston Boston is one of the places that they like to go to. This was the fourth show, I think, that they've had in the Boston area. Maybe the fifth. Um, they obviously had the Ring of Honor pay-per-view already uh, in Lowell, which is about an hour north of Boston. Well, so Three shows in Boston. They did one in Worcester. They did the Ring mm-hmm. of Honor pay-per-view. So that's four in Boston, one in Worcester. That would be five. Yeah. And they've also run yeah. Connecticut multiple times, which is uh, in the New England area. I wouldn't necessarily consider it. Boston specifically, but um, I thought it was interesting. He had never said that before. Mm-hmm. Um, he 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 said like he kind of made it clear that like if they're having a pay per view, it wouldn't be in the Aganis Arena, which I'm assuming would mean that they'd be in TD Garden, which they've never run before, obviously. Um, but would be the pay per view venue, really the only pay per view venue um, you could have you could have in a in at least the Boston area. I which think is where uh, Frank Riddick's favorite pay-per-view is coming up, Survivor Series War Games, which is sold out. Right. It's and that is the TD Garden is WWE's arena. Now there had been discussions about because Dynamite had come in multiple times and sold out the Aganis Arena. So there had been taught discussion about why are they still running here? They should go to the garden. If they can do six thousand at the Aganis, they can probably do like, I don't know, eight thousand at TD Garden. Obviously ticket sales were down this time around in Boston. So I expect they'll be sticking around in the Aganis arena um, for the time being. But 
if they are going to have a pay-per-view, will they have a TD Garden? Is the TD Garden one of the venues that WWE kind of has locked up? I mean, WWE's I, been running. I think that's overrated. I think we've, we've talked about yeah, that. I, I, don't, so? I, don't, yeah. I don't believe that there are all these venues that, that WWE is locking AEW out of. There, there may be other reasons why AEW is unable to get venues, including other sports events, just other, other things that are booking the venues. But, I, but I've asked a, a bit about that. And mm-hmm. I, I, I've asked people who would have a, a reason to, to tell me that, yes, WWE is after them and, and they're pushing them out. And that's I just have not gotten affirmation of that. Right. We do know things like the Madison Square Garden story with New Japan Pro Wrestling and Ring of Honor and the attempts that were made to block that show from happening and how Sinclair Broadcasting had to basically lawyer up to kind of make sure that the show still went on. Um, but outside of that, I mean, I just think it's interesting. I mean, WWE's owned that arena for, if you go back to its predecessor, the the, the Boston Garden proper, WWE's been running there since the 1950s, um, since the company was first founded, really. Um, so so the, the it'll be interesting. Count, I, go ahead. Do you know, do, what do you think this is um, somewhat... This is not directly related, but I, I think it's kind of going under the radar is that AEW is running Rupp Arena in Louisville or, or Lexington, Kentucky. Um, and that is, I think, the biggest venue, um, the biggest arena in America as far as just like a traditional arena like That's setting. That's where Duke plays, right? It's, it's where the University of Kentucky plays. University of Kentucky. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a massive venue. Um, and in a not particularly massive market, like Lexington, Kentucky is not New York City, um, but it would probably seat like, I don't know, with the, I don't know what their stage is set up going to be, but for basketball, it seats, I think, like 22,000 fans or something like that. Like it's bigger than the United Center based on seating alignment, at least. Um, the United Center, I imagine, probably has more suites, but I thought that was a really interesting choice i don't know how many people they're going to be able to put in that building um, that is july 25th is the date for rupp arena in lexington kentucky wrestle ticks as of last count which was on the 11th so two days ago from where we're talking um and the the, the chat is, is is shaking their damn head at me suggesting that that's where duke plays uh, well duke is in north carolina i i was, I, I was thinking something college basketball but anyway, yes it, uh, you were you were on the right track yes as of two days ago uh, 2,446 tickets out. They have scaled it for only double that at this moment. So, And this show is in July. January. Did I say oh, July? Jan- oh, yeah, January July. 25th. January right. 25th. One of, the, one of those months to begin with. And that total would not be seen as like problematic or unusual in any way, shape, or form if they weren't – if they were running a normal size venue for them. Mm. If they had you know 2,500 out basically from first day sales. But we're now we're talking about a massive, massive building. I just thought it was a really interesting choice. It's shades of TNA running at the Alamo Dome, or something like that. So a, a brief look that we have on the screen here for people watching on YouTube. Um, a look at market to market comparisons. We'll talk about this in a in a while later about WWE. But this is all of AEW's Dynamite slash Rampage taping. So no pay per views here. No solo Rampage or solo. Battle of the Belts venue dates here. So just uh, we're at the point where now it's it's well over a year since the return to touring. I think this is all return to touring stuff. But the the tickets distributed counts, this data all from WrestleTix, most of these 
are diminishing returns. Most of these are down, with the exception, I think, only of Pittsburgh here and Independence, Missouri, which is just outside of St. Louis. Most of these most recent dates that they've run are at lower attendances than the date that they ran prior. Um, these these entries where we just have blanks are, I believe, cities where they've, that they've only been to once. Um, so attendances are down compared to where they've been compared to where they were last time they went to these given markets. Uh, you can debate about whether that's due to the hotness of the product, or is that just due to the, the novelty of going to those towns for the first time and now going to those towns for the second or third time? Um, probably both of those things weigh in. But uh, Full Gear is this coming Saturday. Main event, John Moxley, MJF for the title. Uh, this will be the first pay-per-view since what we presume is the end of the CM Punk era. Um, I was just looking at the tickets out for that event at the Prudential Center, uh, and that is at over 10,000. So they've got, Russell Tix has got, let's see here, on the uh, the 19th. Russell Tix has it at 10,494 as of, that's a, that's a fairly old count from the 6th. At any rate, if I, if I say 10,494, 94 and I multiply that by let's say you know 7% of that is comps so we're left with 93% of that which would be let's see dude times 93% let's say that's 9700 paid um average ticket price let's say 70 $75 that would be under a million dollar gate um but if I if I went higher cuz I think the the average ticket price based on the Polestar data Polestar is this service database where you can get what, what seemed to be data from Ticketmaster audits. So essentially real data. Um, and the, I believe the double or nothing gate was like $1.3 million. So that just wasn't just over a million. That was $1,300,000. Um, all out may have been lower. I believe the, the average ticket price for all out at a minimum to get over $1 million on the gate based on a paid attendance of, I assume, 8300 or so that the average ticket price would have had to have been $125. Assuming this is priced similarly, um, and let's say we have 90, what did I say earlier? About 9,600 or so, that would get over, that would easily get over a million dollars for a live gate. So we'll see. Um, we'll see if, if, if AEW chooses to, to uh, disclose whether or not it was over a million dollar gate. Um, in any case. I feel like if it is, Tony will definitely tell us about it. Yeah. And if it's not... Will, will this pay-per-view... Let's run through the card quickly. MJF versus Moxley, the acclaimed versus Swerve in our glory, the finals of the Eliminator Tournament, which could be any of Ethan Page or Bandito versus Brian Cage or Lance Archer or Ricky Starks, Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter for the women's title, the interim women's title, for the Ring of Honor title, Jericho versus Danielson versus Claudio Castanelli versus Sammy Guevara, for the TBS title, Jade Cargill versus Nyla Rose, Britt Baker versus Soraya, Jeff Jarrett, if you thought this pay-per-view wasn't going to draw, just, just just wait. Jeff Jarrett and Jay Lethal versus Sting and Darby Allin in a cage match between Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy. Um, it's conceivable that maybe they'll set up some more on Wednesday on Dynamite or even, I suppose, on Friday. Maybe there's something for the buy-in here. Big question, I think, is whether or not the Elite have a match here. I assume they'll have some presence on the pay-per-view, if, if only in some sort of surprise appearance. Um, yeah, I, Expectations, I think- yeah. I think the elite versus death triangle is you can pencil that in for this card. 
So maybe that's a match they set up on Wednesday. Right, um, and Death Triangle does is defending those titles on Wednesday, I believe. So that would give reason to believe that they're going to do some sort of post-match angle with the Elite come out. Because they, they have titles, they don't have opponents for this show. So it would be unusual for them not to have um, the titles defended on the pay-per-view at all. So, so, so pay-per-view buys for AEW. All Out, we believe, did in the neighborhood of 139,000 buys. Somewhere in that neighborhood. Um, the top one, two, three, four, five AW pay-per-views in terms of buys ever are the five pay-per-views that CM Punk has appeared on. CM Punk will not be appearing on this one. Um, where, I, I will refrain from making a prediction, but Jesse, you can make a prediction. What do you think? What do you think the buys will be? For this pay per view, it's a good 139,000 for the last one. While, while you think I, I will run through the numbers, Double or Nothing did 155. Full Geek, or I'm sorry, Forbidden Door with New Japan, but without CM Punk. CM Punk was injured. 127, 127 for Forbidden Door, 139 for the most recent All Out, 155 for Double or Nothing, 175 for Revolution that had Punk and MJF in a match. Full gear at 155. All out now we have it at 215 for Punk's first match. And we can go back to, to the pre-Punk era to see 115 for Double or Nothing 2021. 135 for Revolution 2021. So I would say, I'm going to say 120,000. 120,000 for, yeah. for full gear, which would put it below last year's full gear. It would not allow Tony Khan to say that the last that this was the biggest full gear ever for for pay per view sales. No, I, I would be very surprised if they hit that full gear number, wouldn't you? Yes. Yeah. Um, I think 120s. It seems like okay. So if we accept that CM Punk is the biggest star in the company, and CM Punk had the biggest impact on pay per view buys, which this chart would illustrate that is the case. You can see the direct. And I think it's it's worth noting that All Out 2022, which did somewhere in the neighborhood of 139, I think that was hurt by the only announcing Punk versus Moxley as the main event, like mm-hmm. on a week's notice. Right. I think you don't was, think that was it was a different strategy for announcing the event, and you don't think it really paid off. I don't think it would have done hugely better than where where it did, mm-hmm. but I think it does a little better. That the uh, the the title swap and the angle where CM Punk was injured during the, the big match on Dynamite. Uh, yes. I think this is a great idea to soothe wrestler egos, but not mm-hmm. such a great idea to sell pay-per-views. So, um, is this so, pay-per-view card strong enough to do better rather than worse? So all that being said, so, but to get back to my point, like CM Punk is the biggest star in the company. So we're now looking at a pay-per-view without CM Punk's presence at all. On the show, it's probably going to do less. Now, you can look at the the thing that's giving me a little bit of pause is how good the Forbidden Door show did, despite Mm -hmm. the fact that it didn't have CM Punk on the show. It still did a very competitive number. You kind of look at Forbidden Door as a good over-under for for success and failure. Now, Forbidden Door was kind of a first-time show. It's it was the New aspects. Japan AEW show. There's no New Japan here. You probably got some fans who there is are Jeff maybe, Jarrett though. 
<laughs> you probably got some fans who were not regular AEW watchers, but were really big New Japan fans, even either currently or in the recent past that bought that show. Um, I don't know how sizable that audience really is. But Gotta consider did, we have the GFW fans, though, that might take interest yeah. in this one. People who have their Global Force Gold are, are, are getting ready to cash in some of it to purchase this pay-per-view. Yes. Okay. Um, so, so I would think that that's kind of like you would. I would think that some ways one twenty-seven would be their floor, but I also feel like if they do one hundred twenty thousand, that's a a pretty good. Um, that would be. I would consider that a success. Um, but it, it it will be an interesting test. It will be a major test of I think the allure of MJF as a true drawing card, a true guy who really moves business if he's in a prominent spot on the card. Um, I think everyone expects him to be that in wrestling, but it's extremely difficult. You can be incredibly talented, which he is, but it's extremely difficult to become and be seen as the kind of star that sells things. We only have a, I have had a handful of them really over the last 15 years. Um, and all of them to an extent have been aided by WWE's um, kind of mass appeal as a wrestling promotion. It, it, it's, it might be difficult for MJF to hit that level. And it will be very interesting for me, at least to see um, if he can prove like MJF. I think most people think MJF is going to win the world title. And is that something that can pop a pay-per-view number? I, I think MJF and Moxley are, are, are a good main event, a strong main event for this. Even if you add the Elite versus Death Triangle, I think the rest of this card is not super strong. Um, I was just thinking about sort of anticipating what maybe the, the critical response to this show will be. I think a lot of these matches I could see not being great matches. Um, mm-hmm. So we'll see. Um some of the like some of these matches like I, I guess Luchasaurus and Jungle Boy it's like oh that that could be an awesome match but but it, or, or it could be just okay in in the standard for an AEW pay per view is really high I think a lot of times AEW pay per views are often judged by how good the worst matches on the show end up being I think if there's a period where you have like two or three matches in a row where the crowd might be dead or it feels like the talent is under delivering. Um, to an extent, I think that can sour people on the show, even if you have like a great opener and a great main event, which in most cases is good enough for any other promotion. The standard's extremely high with AEW pay-per-views. Um, and, and I think the the reception of these events is pretty important considering, for one thing, they're still in the pay-per-view business, unlike WWE. And just it whether or not the show is amazing and whether or not it's okay or good is a big difference towards shaping the reputation of the quality that the consumer comes to expect from an aw pay-per-view whereas if you're wwe it's going to be on streaming and there isn't that much invested by the consumer as opposed to pay-per-view if it's bought legitimately you're investing probably fifty dollars at least in the u.s you are um so and and there's so few of them so not just that aspect but there's only four of them a year there's not 12 of them a year. So it goes a long way in between for months towards leaving that memory with, with pay-per-view buyers or with somebody who didn't buy the pay-per-view but, but is gaining a, 
an awareness about what the quality is that they come to expect from an AEW pay-per-view. So it's, uh, it's a lot of pressure. I, do I would they, say. Do you know who they still have betting lines for what Dave Meltzer's star ratings are going to be for matches? Probably. Cause I remember you, know, you could at one. Probably, you know, there are betting lines for like what Russell Alex will report as the buys, which is why I will refrain from making a prediction. Oh, so I'm I'm being fed and I'm being fed to the the wolves right now. So if people come up to me and tell me that I lost the money because I said 120 thousand was my prediction, um, but um, I yeah, but so like the Dave Meltzer betting lines, I think are I can't find them right now. Just doing a quick Google search. Um, if someone ha- if someone can find them and you link it in the chat, I'll talk about them more. But I think you look at up and you look at this card right now. It doesn't have, um. Like if if we're if we're gonna say if we're just gonna use it as a baseline, like an AEW pay per view on average needs to have like four four star or greater matches at least to be considered good, which is an extremely high baseline to hit. Um, do we have confidence in this card having those matches? I would say in a lot of ways you would. Um, MJF versus John Moxley, I think people will assume will be very good. The acclaimed versus Swerve in our glory. I think they have done uh, – they've had very good matches in the past, including on the most recent pay-per-view. This will be the third match. Is there still juice in that one to make it spe- feel special or different? Not sure. That Eliminator match, we don't know what the, the finals are going to be, so it's hard to really say um, what the expectation is. Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter I think is an interesting match because Jamie Hayter has become pretty over from the crowd, and I think that – the crowd that will be at full gear will be really into her, which this I think is a match that has already happened fairly recently, isn't it? Tony Storm versus Jamie Hader. Yeah. Not for that the happened. title. Um, okay. okay. I'm sure sh- they might've wrestled. They've certainly wrestled in tag matches and things like that. Okay. Um, Jericho versus Danielson versus Claudio versus Sammy Guevara. It's hard to really say cause it's a four way match. It could be like a super spectacular match. It could be like, uh, feel a little disappointing. Jade Cargo versus Nyla Rose. I imagine will be short. Burt Bert Baker versus Soraya. I have no idea that match could be like a train wreck or it could be excellent. Mm-hmm. Um, Jeff Jarrett versus NJ Lethal versus Sting and Darby Allen. I will say that Sting has never failed to deliver on these shows. Um, so I would, on paper, I would be skeptical of that match. But as far as results go, I will, Sting has never, I think, disappointed on pay-per-view. The cage match, who knows? Again, there's a lot of lack of certainty, I feel like, in in matches that you could pencil in as being extremely good. The only ones I can say with confidence that I can say are definitely going to be very good matches are the main event and then hopefully the six-man tag match that gets added. Everything else to me could could, could end up being a little bit disappointing, potentially. I feel like this is a a weaker card than than a usual Mm paper card for for AEW. Um, Moving on to news... Related to the Warner Brothers Discovery World and Combat Sports World. I will, I will read this report from Post Wrestling by John Pollock. Dana White's Power Slap has secured a television deal to begin in 2023. At a press conference at Radio City Music Hall in New York, Dana White announced that the league has secured a television deal with TBS for an eight episode series to begin airing in January. The episodes will be one hour in length. Uh, It comes weeks after the events were sanctioned by the Nevada State Athletic Commission. The series will focus on various personalities and establish world rankings at its its conclusion. Dana White said he began to take interest 
in online slap videos. This is what Dana White's doing in the spare time in 2017 and reached out to Lorenzo and Frank Fertitta, as well as Craig Pilligan, who was part of the launch of Ultimate Fighter. White said there will be weight classes and rules in hopes that other states will follow Nevada. So I think this is significant to wrestling because this is something combat sports related, certainly. And it's getting a TV deal on TBS. Um, First of all, don't don't call it slap fighting. They handed out a glossary uh, with with very Vince McMahon-esque directions about what, what words that you should and shouldn't use to refer to this field of endeavor. Don't call it slap fighting. Power slap. Um, but I'm sure this is a time, this is a an opportunity that Ring of Honor, that Tony Khan would really like to have for Ring of Honor. Although this does sound like it's going to be a reality show, right? Much like The Ultimate Fighter. Um, but where's Ring of Honor's TV deal? And I could very much see this being a lead-in or Dynamite providing the lead-in for Power Slap, perhaps on Wednesday nights at 10. Um, I don't know if this is something that I would want to be associated with if I was wrestling. Have you, have you seen this, this sport? Do you know what this is about? Yes. It's people stand there and slap each other as hard as they can, basically. And you can't block it. You can't – there's penalties against flinching. If you get if you flinch, it's a penalty. I read that in the in the, the rules that they published. I, th- I think you have to, like, have your hands probably, like, on the on the table or something like that. Mm-hmm. And you just, just slap each other until somebody gets knocked out, basically. Yeah. Um, Maybe this is how people felt about MMA when it first, uh, you know, first started to to uh, that's, become a. That, a that's what Dana implies in this press in the press release. Yes, but people he just says, don't understand. Yeah. We just need to make this. We're going to make this a real sport, like we did with MMA. Um, mm-hmm. and I was reading this. I was like, man, I, I don't really understand the television industry because I look at this and I was like, there's no way this is successful. I'm kind of surprised that TBS would want to to have this, but but maybe they're they're just they don't they they're certainly okay with blading, so mm-hmm. they're they're okay with some. I I, I, th- I find it interesting that like Dana White is going down this uh, this like Merv Griffin route, where he'll just kind of put his name on something combat sports related, and it can find its way into television or maybe one day syndication. Um, do you know who Merv Griffin is? Yes, the the, the Wheel of Fortune guy, right? Yes, he invented. He's credited with being the inventor of like Wheel of Fortune and Jeopardy. But mm-hmm. later in his, you know, even now I'm sure it's syndicated in other places. But there were always these various shows that were like Merv Griffin's, you know, crossword challenge and Merv Griffin's this, and there were all these other less successful syndicated game shows. But they put Merv Griffin's name on it, so it would be associated with a level of quality. And I can see Dana White's kind of Dana White's power slap. No one would care about power slap, but because Dana White is attached to it, people are more likely to view it as a potential success. Um, maybe he's right. I don't know. It just, when I read about it, I was like, there's no way people are going to watch this. It, it sounds weird. Um, but I think this is a data point for ring of honor. It doesn't tell us something super clear, I think. But this is clearly, especially if it ends up on Wednesday night at 10, which would make a lot of sense. It's a time slot that it would make a lot of sense to put it at, to think that. I could see TV executives thinking that like AEW Dynamite's audience might be you know, a good match for, for, for people slapping the shit out of each other. Um, but it points to you know that... that I, I imagine Tony has talked to Warner Brothers Discovery people about putting Ring of Honor somewhere. Certainly, I, I strongly believe that he has putting it somewhere, whether it's on TBS, whether it's on HBO Max. 
and they haven't picked it up yet, but they picked this up. And I think that tells you something, at least, about their interest in Ring of Honor. Maybe Ring of Honor will still end up somewhere, maybe on a streaming service. Tony Khan has hinted at that. I don't know how meaningful that is. Uh, but I think it tells you something about how much interest there is from Warner Brothers Discovery in more wrestling from the world of Tony Khan. Um, by the way, if you want to put a super chat in, you can feel free to. I haven't plugged that yet. Uh, feel free to put a super chat for your question or comment. And we will we will answer it as we go, or if not, as we go by the end. Um, all that said, we've got uh, some comments here, or at least a, a story from Fightful. Fightful reported earlier this week that a Warner Brothers Discovery source, who is a longtime employee of the company, told Fightful they'd be shocked if AEW wasn't offered a renewal and significant increase in rights fees for AEW's U.S. live rights deal, uh, which we believe, Fightful believes, expires at the end of 2024. We believe AEW could finalize new U.S. deals in mid-2023. Oh, this is, this is actually me writing. It's not, not Fightful. Uh, this is Fightful's story and Fightful's source. But this is my summary of it when, when I say we. Uh, WrestleNomics believes that, that, the, that the deal expires in 2024 and that they may finalize new deals in the middle of next year, um, maybe just after W finalizes their deal sometime in the middle of next year. Um, so there's some reassurance. I understand there's a, a, new, uh, a new wave of doubt about the U.S. TV rights market. Heard Rich Greenfield talking about that earlier uh, this week about whether or not, say, the NBA may or may not get an increase. Some doubt about whether the NBA will get a TV rights increase. I know there's there's people out there listening who think the the sports rights bubble is about to burst any day now. Um, it is it has never burst. If it's going to burst, it's it's a it's a forty year bubble. That's uh, something like that. Uh, a, a multi-decade bubble that's been growing and growing and has, has never really burst. Um, but here's a WBD source saying that they believe AEW will get an offer at an increase. Not just an offer, but an offer at an increase. Who knows what that source, what the quality of that source's knowledge is, but there's that. Um, I think AEW is especially likely to get an increase of some kind. Now I'm talking about the difference between an increase and, and, a, and an equal value deal or a downgrade value deal. I think AW is especially likely to get an increase just because they're a newer property and they were given a deal that, yes, was an upgrade in 2020 from their ad revenue share deal that they got in the first place, but it was still a fairly low deal just because of the, the newness of AEW. If you compare the, the viewers per hour that they're providing compared to WWE, they have a much lower deal in terms of the, the money that they're getting getting paid for it. Um, so just the 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 reward that AEW is, is likely to get because they've continued to prove themselves over time as being a property that in 18 to 49 can rank highly on Wednesday. I think they're likely to get an increase that that may or may not be reflective of the broader live sports rights market. Um, so I, I think they'll get some sort of increase, whether or not it'll be what Brandon Thurston has said to be maybe a three X to five X increase based on the math that I've done comparing WWE sports rights and NHL sports rights and premier league sports rights, uh, is another question, but probably something over, uh, a 0% increase. Um, any thoughts there? 
No, I mean, what we've talked about before is um, neither of us have, have really ever said that Warner Brothers Discovery would be uninterested in renewing AEW. Um, that's something that I think pretty much everyone that's closely followed this um, understands, right, that Warner Brothers Discovery is happy with AEW. They like the product that's being put out. They like the business that's being turned out by it. They're going to – they'd be interested in bringing them back. That if there's – the big thing – the kind of X factor here is whether or not there's going to be another bidder for AEW's product. And that would ultimately probably be the biggest factor in driving the price upwards. Um, I'll be really interested to see like when AEW gets a new TV deal, whether it's with Warner Brothers Discovery or whether it's someone else. Um, I think what the kind of reactions are going to be like across the wrestling landscape as far as what number do we consider a success? What number would we consider disappointing? Um, do you have any m- numbers in mind for like a television deal that you would consider like a success or, or a disappointment? It, w- it will be shaped by any news that we get about any TV deals that are done just before AEW makes their deal. So let's say, let's say WWE gets a, get, you know, I, I think success or failure for, for WWE is it's successful. If it's 1.5 X. Right for WWE, mm-hmm. if it's higher than 1.5x, it's super successful. If it's below 1.5x, it starts to get disappointing and gets more disappointing the lower it goes. If WWE gets a really impressive deal, the better WWE's deal is, the more current, especially if that deal is made close in timing with AEW's deal. If WWE gets a really great deal, that's encouraging for for AEW. If if WWE gets a two X deal, but that raise that raises the expectation for what could be considered success for AEW. It's debatable, um, because and it's one of those things. Like, what do we talk when we talk about? Okay, they're going to get a new TV deal. AEW is going to get a new deal with Warner Brothers Discovery when their current deal is. If you're talking about the wrestling media world, the re- I, th- I think the wrestling media world has has no sense of has no great frame of reference in general right, for assessing. right but even it's, just going to be, in, it's going to be reverse engineered into into one's uh, inclinations in the first right place. and but I, I wonder like just in general how we what does tony khan eternally view as success or failure aw is not like wwe they are not a publicly traded company they do not need to hit these big set goals to satisfy stockbrokers um I, is, I, I would think like at a minimum that aw is a business that wants right. to be profitable. It, it it may or may not be profitable now. If it's profitable, it's it's a slim margin. Uh, and I think at a minimum, before we talk about like you know the goals that we may have set or envisioned for ourselves, they want to make a deal that's going to make this company profitable and sustainable over time, so they can continue investing in it and continue improving and continuing growing the popularity and the, and the financial success of AEW. I, I would think that they want some deal that's a, at least going to sustain that. So let's assume that they're not profitable now by by a by a modest margin. They're losing a little bit of money, let's say. Um, hypothetical. They, then they probably want at least a a, a pretty sizable increase. You know, fifty percent increase, one hundred percent increase, which would be a two x increase, mm-hmm. something like that that can make the company sustainable and allow it to continue to grow in all the ways that it would want to grow, including maybe investing in higher quality assets, investing in more employees and things like that. Um, So something like that. I don't know. know, 1.5 to 2x, I would say. If we start to get below 1.5, I'm ending up making a a benchmark that's the same for AEW as it is for WWE, I guess. 
that if it's if it's not a 50% increase over what they have currently, then maybe that starts to get into the realm of disappointment. That, that said, even if they get only a modest increase, there's, I'm sure there's a way to financially plan that would allow them to be, I'm not sure, but there's probably a way that they could financially plan that would still allow them to be profitable even with a modest increase over the current deal, which is, by the way, $44 million average annual value. Times 1.5x would be $66 million average annual value. We have a couple super chats related to this. Do you want to do those now or do you want to say them to yeah. the end? Sure, sure. Jesse has the power today. I don't. I'm clicking on them. You don't? No. Did you accept your powers? Which which one do you want to do first? The Tim B? I might not have done it. Uh, Tim B yeah, first? We can do the Tim B one. And then we'll do MJ from MJ. Uh, Tim B says, if you were TK slash WBD, would you prefer short-term or long-term deal? And is AAV higher the longer the term? I, I would think so. Just basic, basic economics, right? Not basic economics. Basic economics is that the longer you're asking somebody to make a commitment, the more they're going to be paid. Jesse has left. Jesse has left the building. Maybe he'll be back. <laughs> um, I would prefer. I, th- I think the deal is probably going to be four or five years. But um, the well, he's back. He has returned. I had um, to watch my uh, hours. Okay. Um, would you prefer a short or longer term deal? I think AEW is going to prefer something that's at least three years or so. Um, I think it's going to be at least that long, about three years, and probably longer than that, five. I mean, WWE and, and, and Rogers in Canada have a 10-year deal that's coming to an end soon. Um, so that's sort of the ceiling on how long these deals could be. I think NFL has some super long deal with, with their partners as well. Um, I don't think they would want a shorter-term deal if you're AEW because of the uncertainty maybe around that it, that is that is passing us in this moment. They don't really buy, but the uncertainty – there's enough uncertainty around the future value of live sports rights that I would like to be locked in for at least a few years. So at least we can get through this recession and this transformation of, of traditional TV to streaming a little bit more so that I'm, I'm, I'm locked in and guaranteed and I can make some solid financial plans for a number of years going forward. And then we can reassess what the value of these sports rights are after that. I would prefer longer term. It seems like with most of the sports rights deals that have come up over the last few years, every time they've come up, it's kind of been like, oh, it's a good time. It's been seen as, oh, it's a good time for these deals to come up. It doesn't seem like, like oh, if your deals came up in 2020. The bubble's about to burst. Right. There's no, there's no real uh, – it seems like every time your deal comes up, it's a great time to renegotiate. The bubble the has last, been like, about to burst for, five or six for, years. for every year that I've been covering pro wrestling business. The bubble has been on the verge of bursting. It is It is still, and now today, 2022, it's still on the, the verge of bursting. Um, the cable bundle is about to totally unwind and come apart. It, that has been the case every year that I've been covering this stuff. It, it is about to, to fall through the roof, or through, through the ceiling, mm-hmm. rather. Um, I think, do you believe in general that there will be a seismic transition between cable and streaming that will eventually have a major, major, major effect on these TV rights. No, I'm skeptical. I think, I think the, the it's, 
I think that the, the media companies, the content companies, wh- whether they have to get swallowed up by bigger players, which I don't think will, will come until much later. But anyway, I think streaming will, will eventually and, and gradually, and it already has become more and more expensive for consumers. And that'll be a bargain that's played out between those streaming services and, and the consumers. And I think consumers will kick and scream just like they kick and scream about their cable bills, but it's a bargain between the consumer and the content provider. Um, and I think what will happen is those, as that transformation, uh, as that shift in consumer behavior continues to, to unwind and evolve from, from traditional to streaming, particularly over the next four, three to four years or so, where I think that the Nielsen gauge that we see every month, where that streaming percentage of the donut is going to become as big as the cable plus broadcast percentage of the donut where streaming finally becomes as big on the donut as, as broadcasting cable, all that, you know, all, all that being what it is, the most popular content, which is overwhelmingly live sports is going to continue to be exceptionally valuable in, in that market. And no matter what pipe you're watching it from, whether it's through cable or satellite, whether it's through the internet, I think it's still going to maintain exceptional value. In the transition that we get from cable to streaming as the major players going to be more gradual and gentler than maybe some people assume. And I think when and people I, talk, when you talk yeah. about a bubble bursting, right, we talk about this one day we wake up and just something has entirely collapsed and there's a uh, tons of uncertainty everywhere about the future of things. But what we're seeing is a slow transition from cable and, and network television as the primary provider of, of entertainment and, and, and television to these streaming services. We're seeing that in the sports world. We're seeing leagues slowly move games off of cable or traditional television onto streaming. Um, or, or, or I think what we're, we're going to see happen, and, and it's, I think it's for many people, it's right in front of their faces. Like, I'm going to watch the Bills game in a couple hours. I'm not going to watch it on traditional TV. I'm going to watch it on Paramount+. Plus. I'm already watching that stuff on streaming. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think as, as time goes on, you know, Peacock and NBC, those NFL games, I believe, are similar. They're already on streaming. We were talking about them as if they're still right. only on traditional TV. I think that's I, – I, I think it's, it's less like one's going to move over to the other one as much as like, okay, there's, there's going to be dual distribution here so that cool. it could, it, these, these products can continue to reach a, the widest audience. Right. And we talked about this with like the Amazon Prime in the Thursday Night Football games and how they've been able to meet similar um, – standards for for which did just at its lowest audience ever to, yeah. to, to inject some counter narrative here but but they're but they're hitting the 1849 numbers similar to what they were there when they were on traditional television and what does that mean are are people now more comfortable turning on their streaming services than they are turning on cable if they even have cable um, it's it's becoming gradually the case that streaming on the right platforms like prime video is not a detriment to reach, but is an improvement to reach, which mm-hmm. is why for, for products like wrestling, where you have multiple shows, Raw and SmackDown, perhaps Dynamite and Rampage, where you can put one on traditional and you can put the other on streaming, you are increasing your reach by doing that versus what we have today, Raw and SmackDown, Dynamite and Rampage, only 
on traditional. Sure. We talked They're- to, and we talked to, we talked about this a few months ago and I, and I think Mookie even confirmed it. We were talking about, are there people out there that follow AEW just through AEW dark and AEW dark elevation? Um, because who was, uh, People who don't have cable at all, maybe AEW is not shown in their country, they are following the product primarily through the shows being for free on YouTube, which can be accessed by pretty much everyone. Yes. Um, so, what else did I want to say here? We still have a super chat that we've not addressed. From Put it, put it back down, down to the one you're just at, the lowest. That looks best. Uh, MJ from MJ. He says, is a fair ben- benchmark... For AEW, the Formula One deal. Well, what do you mean by that, MJ from MJ? Uh, Formula One got a 25X. I mean, it's, we've, got, we've got a range reported by Sports Business Journal, by John O'Rand. And uh, it's the, the middle of that range is a 25 times increase. So is that the benchmark? And MJ from MJ, I think, is, is, is actually predicting a 25X increase then for AEW, uh, which, which would be enormous. Uh, no, I think... I, I don't. I don't know what, what you mean exactly. If you want to put in the chat some clarification about about what you mean, um, average annual value of that deal, I think is twenty. What is the average annual value of the Formula One deal? Oh, let's see here. Formula One uh, TV deal. If I do some on the fly research here, uh, seventy-five F one and ESPN have agreed to a three-year contract for U.S. broadcast rights worth somewhere between 75 and $90 million annually. Um, but I, I think, like, I, so here's what I don't know. Like, Formula One, how many hours of content does that include? I, I would have to uh, do some research to find out because that's, that's a big uh, factor is how many, how many, what's the volume of content that you're giving me? What's, what's the inventory that I'm going to be able to have to, to sell the advertisers and, and to put in the TV schedule? Um for AEW, that's 52 weeks a year of Dynamite, two hours a week, and one hour a week of Rampage. So it's it's hard to say without knowing what what Formula One uh, is, is providing in terms of hours mm-hmm. uh, a year. So I have a slide here to discuss Ring of Honor. Um and sort of along the lines of the question that is ring of honor watering down AEW's content and or brand. And I thought it was going to have a real gotcha result here, but we do have something. It, it certainly is, is on the increase. What's on the increase, the unique number of wrestlers who have had matches on AEW shows for dynamite in the 32 dynamites before Supercard of honor, which was Tony Khan's first ring of honor show in those 32 dynamites before Tony Khan ran a Ring of Honor show. There were 131 unique wrestlers on Dynamite having matches. 131. Now we've been 32 Dynamites since that moment. And now there are 147 unique wrestlers having matches. That's only up by 12%. That's not huge. Uh, that's, maybe that's something, though. For Rampage, that difference is 23%. So that's a little bit more. That is, that is in fact, double the, the delta of, of Dynamite. So I was thinking that maybe this would be huge. But it is... I would say it's not insignificant, but it's something that there are. And what does this mean? There's more wrestlers on TV, which means less TV time for the average wrestler, perhaps. And it's harder to get over when you have less TV time in all likelihood. 
just more wrestlers being signed to AEW, being used by AEW, being signed by Ring of Honor, whatever it is, being signed by a wrestling contract to, to work for Tony Khan, and just more stuff happening on television, more wrestlers, probably less TV time for the average wrestler. And is that not watering down the brand and watering down individual, the average wrestler's ability to get over, be a star, contribute to economics? Um, what do you think? Does this line up with reality or is it, is it, is there some other reason why it's actually worth it to have this additional talent? Many of whom are there because of the ring of honor brand. I think in general, AEW just, it's really comes down to a, I think a fundamental philosophical approach to how you want to present your wrestling talent. I think the traditional WWE way in the way that Raw and SmackDown are conducted are a smaller focus on a subset of stars who take up a large percentage of television time. And so if you turn on Raw, you're going to see a wrestler like Seth Rollins three or four times per episode. They maybe have a promo in the ring, maybe they're backstage, maybe they have a match, maybe they have two matches on the show. Um, and WWE has the philosophy of kind of a smaller utilization of their roster, but showing the biggest stars as frequently as possible which in some ways creates the idea that each of these wrestlers are, are more are, are more important. Uh, is that not the opposite extreme? Is, is that overexposing? Right. Uh, well, I'm saying there's two core philosophies. AEW on the flip side tends to be very much uh, we're gonna we have a big roster. We're gonna utilize as many different people as we can to create unique matchups. To do never have to do too many rematches. Um, even the biggest stars on the show are going to be, yeah, they'll be on every week. Like MJF can be on every week and John Moxie can be on every week and Chris Jericho can be on every week for the most part, but they're going to be in like one segment. Maybe they just cut a promo. Maybe they just have a match. Maybe there's a little backstage promo that's done quickly before a match or something like that. But it seems to be two different philosophies for how you want to present your biggest stars. Um, AW, I think operates under a, philosophy going under like we want our stars to matter we want their one appearance on the show to be seen as very important and we're going to give them shorter a, a shorter amount of time on television but that time will be seen as more valuable and more important because it's the only time you'll see them WWE goes the opposite which is we want to have our stars on the show as much as possible and as many segments as possible um and i don't think one is right or wrong i just think it's two different philosophies and I think with this AEW numbers, with like using Ring of Honor talent, using a lot of talent from other promotions, other countries. I know Rampage next week, we're going to see John Akiyama and Konosuke Takeshita come back. Um, those are, uh, you know, it's just a different, totally different philosophy than what WWE does um, with how they utilize their talent. I, I can't, I don't really want to say one is wrong and one is right. I just think they're different. I think they'll appeal to different people. I personally like seeing a bunch of different talent on AEW's roster. I like the fact that AR Fox is going to be on episode of dynamite next week. And he's going to be tapped because he's teaming with top flight against, um, death triangle. Like, I think that's cool. Um, some people will argue that you shouldn't be doing that. You should be putting talent, only talent that the core fan base and the, and the regular fans recognize and enjoy. And you shouldn't be watering down the product with talent that nobody, uh, or that people are less familiar with. 
Um, but not, for, as a personally as a wrestling fan, I enjoy the the, the, the mass utilization that AEW does. I, I guess my belief is that Ring of Honor does not have the media value potential to invest in it with on-screen time to the degree that Tony Khan has mm-hmm. has invested. But we're talking about something a little bit different then. We're talking about the uh, highlighting of the Ring of Honor brand as opposed to utilizing more wrestlers. Now, they're somewhat related in the sense that you bring in older Ring of established Ring of Honor wrestlers to, to have matches on your product. Um, but... I think that's a slightly different than the idea of like, we're going to use Chris Jericho and Brian Danielson and they're going to be feuding over something associated with ring of honor as opposed to something associated with AEW. But I think it has contributed to these deltas that we're seeing on the screen, which is more wrestlers, which has an opportunity cost to it, which is less time for others to get over to become economic contributors. Um, I think that's happened and it's, it's happened. I think also Arguably, at the opportunity cost of Rampage, which is it's 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 like you're you're focusing on a third media brand before before the the second media brand, which is Rampage, has mm-hmm. solidly established its value. R- Rampage, its ratings have declined over this time as well, at the expense of purportedly creating value for Ring of Honor, which. As far as we know, you know, doesn't have any value yet. It has a potential value, but it doesn't have any value yet uh, beyond the, the pay per views that it's done. Um, so, uh, before we move on further, and again, you can put your super chat in if you want. Um, this is not in the slides, but I was thinking there's going to be a a media call maybe Thursday or Friday with Tony Khan. There'll be post pay per view press conferences with Tony Khan and other talent. Um, do you have any thought? This this will be a, a great uh, free preparation for AW public relations. But what questions should the media ask Tony or maybe any other talent if they if they appear? The talent who tend to appear on the on the press conference seem to be people who have had who have won big matches on the pay per view, so that it's hard to predict. But um, what are the questions? That are important. I mean, the number, the number one question everyone's going to want ask about is things related to CM Punk uh, and the all-out press conference and the return. The what? Uh, and the return of um, the elite to television, which I'm assuming is going to happen on Wednesday. Um, and, and one of the interesting things about that is the media can, the media has the power, I guess, to force him to comment more. If everyone just continually asks questions related to those things, how if excited you, are you about this pay per view? Yeah, if one person asks about it and he says I can't comment on it, the next person should ask about it, and the person after that, and the person after that, make it so that he is answering the questions. He has to either answer the question that everyone wants to know, or he doesn't get to promote his event by getting all these softball questions. That would be my advice if I was giving, if I was coaching all of the media, I've had them all in a room and we were coming out with a strategy to how to get this best, how to best get Tony to be truthful with us and be transparent with us. That would be the strategy that I would recommend. We've got to um, set up a, a wrestling media group chat 
you you can say that. Yeah, I'll pass on that. <laughs> but um, that would that would be my suggestion as far as like what should we ask? What should people ask about? I think like to maybe get him talking more. Um, I would ask him things like, "Do you feel like fans need an explanation for why the elite did not win the t- had to relinquish the the trios titles? Do you feel like it's problematic that, that was never explained on your television product?" Mm-hmm. I mean, they're all these are all fair questions. He might just say no comment, and again, it's his right to not. He doesn't have to comment on it. Um, but I would continue to ask questions related to that. I, it's the only thing. There are other questions you could certainly ask about various other elements. You could ask about upcoming TV deals. You could be. You could ask him about Ring of Honor's television. You could ask him about running in New York City. You could ask him about uh, a million other questions, but. I think that would be, that's the question everyone's going to want to know, know about. And it's become, because of things like the Helwani interview, it has become this um, elephant in the room that's growing bigger and bigger with each media appearance that he refuses to address. And more and more people are becoming aware of this being like a thing with Tony. I think there are, I don't know, a lot, a lot of questions, but it's, 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 it's tough. It's a different strategy, I think, as far as to whatever limited experience I have with asking people questions. But like, it's a different strategy to think about what questions you're, you, you were going to ask somebody in, in an interview where you will be able to have like, you know, uh, whatever it is, an hour long conversation with somebody versus I have one question and then they're going to mute me. Um, but I think there's, there's questions like, are the EVPs still going to be EVPs? Um, questions that don't pertain to questions that don't are, that are not questions that he has already said. I can't comment on that about, but that he could conceivably comment if, if, if that's, his stance. And we, if we accept that, there's other questions sort of around that, that you could ask, including like, you know, what have you learned from this whole process? What, 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 what have you learned as a, as a manager of, of a wrestling company? Yeah. You could ask, you've given backstage roles formally now to people like John Moxley, people like Chris Jericho, people like Tony Schiavone. Why did you do those things? Mm-hmm. Like what kind of leadership do you feel like was, did you feel like leadership was lacking backstage? Um, there's, I mean, there's, there's plenty of questions, I think, but most of them are going to be somewhat related to the all-out incident. Mm-hmm. I'm sure someone will ask him, you know, what's your favorite match in the show or something like that. Uh, I think we can go to this now. MJ from NJ has another super chat. TK buying ROH is a lot like Elon buying Twitter. Seemed like a spontaneous idea with no plan. Now introducing lots of new things he expects his fans, users, to enjoy. Need to find a way to monetize it. Um, yes, I, th- I think there was may- maybe more thought in, in, into, into Ring of Honor than, than Twitter for Elon. But I don't know. Maybe in some ways similar. Um, there are elements to the Ring of Honor purchase, like the tape library, that we really haven't yes. seen um, exploited by... Tony ring of honor at least has a value. The, the, the library, which Mm -hmm. addresses something that AEW lacks, which is just a history, a video library with history Mm -hmm. to it. That could be sold as part of a streaming deal. And it Um, at least has some synergy and cooperation with existing businesses that, that Tony Khan controls, uh, mm -hmm. as opposed I don't know how, how Twitter serves, uh, Tesla or SpaceX. Um, I, 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 by by most accounts, like what we've seen so far from Ring of Honor, as far as selling, it's been limited. But as far as like selling tickets to events and selling pay per views, 
it's been moderately successful. They sold a lot, you know, a decent amount of tickets to the show in Lowell and they sold a decent amount of pay-per-views. Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard for us I, to say whether that's profitable, but I, I would think that the pay-per-view value put it over the margin. Right. So they're finding ways. I, I definitely think that it, it's going to come down to television. Um, and whether they can find it and how successful it can be. You know what I really hope, just for the, the sake of my own mental health, uh, Brandon, that Ring of Honor ends up on a streaming service so I just don't have to talk about Ring of Honor ratings. Oh, but you know what's going to happen? Is Nielsen is eventually going to track all that stuff, I think. Right, right. But I just... Are we tracking re- Amazon? Do you like, see that, I, that, that Amazon is on Showbiz Daily? They put it in, in, in the, uh, the broadcast chart, broadcast yeah. table. Yeah. ABC, NBC, CBS, Amazon. On Thursdays, anyway. Um, uh, what's the and suggestion, suggestion? If I were advising Elon Musk, though, uh, when, when a billionaire wants to do something that that you know creates a product that addresses their very own specific preferences when they when they experience that product, then Elon Musk should have started a wrestling or bought a wrestling company rather than a social media platform. But anyway, uh, it's not too late. What's a wrestling company that Elon could buy? All Japan Pro Wrestling. Maybe, maybe Billy wants to cash out. Um, now, now would be a time. Yeah, yes. we should probably talk about that maybe in next week, or I won't be here next week. Go, go ahead, because I'm not going to talk about it. I don't have the, thought, thoughts beyond. You want to? You want to talk about last night? Uh, the NWA champions. You can go through the gambit of history. Frank Gotch, Luthez, Harley Race, and now, of course, Tyrus. Well, I just think it's interesting that Tyrus has the championship pretty much solely because the idea that he himself is an individual draw due to his presence in conservative media. Gutfield. Um, He's on Gutfield. Gutfield, right. Gutfield, whatever it is. Fox show seen on, by more uh, viewers on a weekly basis than ever watched Ring of Honor. On Wednesday, watched, I was... AW or I, WWE. I was, uh, on Wednesday, I was uh, talking with somebody who runs a very prominent wrestling news website, uh... And he told me that when they put Tyrus in a headline or Tyrus in a story, that there's measurably larger amount of traffic that hits than if they were to cover anyone else in the NWA. And so I'd be interested in seeing like what does Google Trends look like and like this whole idea that if Tyrus has this moderate level of popularity amongst uh, right wing media consumers. Is that reflected in business for the NWA? Are they going to sell more pay-per-views with Tyrus as champion? Can they sell more tickets? Can they find a way to make more money with him as champion, despite the fact? And how do you balance that out if he has that, has appeal with a certain segment of, of people? How can that be balanced out versus being a smaller wrestling company and getting a lot of negativity on social media? Something that I think is very important for independent wrestling companies and smaller companies like the NWA where buzz and word of mouth and some being something being to pe- going around as being very good is, is necessary to success. Um, and is that the losses you're going to get from everyone dumping on your product on social media going to be outweighed by all of these um, right-wing cons- consumers of media now suddenly becoming more invested in the NWA because Tyrus is the champion. Yeah. I, I think that's, an example of something that has been a big, big stress, a big problem for wrestling in that there's a difference between attention and purchase. People will click on articles that have somebody that maybe like Tyrus mm-hmm. in them and they will spend their time looking at that. Perhaps I 
don't believe that that necessarily translates into consumer purchase, which is the most important decision for the consumer as it relates to a product like NWA, who I can't imagine what revenues do they have that are strongly supported by attention, by people spending time, which is not spending their money. They're not on television. There maybe there's a, a, a relatively microscopic amount of YouTube revenue that, that they're making, but their bigger revenue sources, I have to assume, are pay-per-view purchases, ticket purchases. Do people who want to read those articles about him are they also proportionally willing to spend money to see him wrestle? Right, and I'd be in, I'd be interested in knowing if Billy could justify that. Um, and if those are gains are being made, are you losing fans? I mean, part of the tire decision is also and, and just, what's, what's, what's the cost of the negative, negative right. reaction. And, and, and part of the tire situation is that this is coming. It comes at the end of a very tumultuous week for Billy Corgan's leadership at the NWA and a lot of questions about the creative direction of that promotion. And this is kind of the cherry on top of the Sunday, um, that has happened. Um, but I, I think that's, you know, I, I, I believe that a lot of the, the wrestling wis- wisdom is, I, I learned a new word the other week, and specious. It means like it's, it sounds good, but it's not necessarily true. Like the, the adage that I hear often when there's terrible angles that everybody talks about afterward, talks about afterward, right? Well, at least it got you. The one thing you can definitely say is it got people talking and or the even the, the what's the name of Eric Bischoff's first book? Controversy, controversy creates cash. cash. Um, maybe some controversies do. Some controversies also damage your brand. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't create cash. <laughs> that creates problems and losses. <laughs> so, I think that's a, there's some very important nuance to that story. And I think there's a lot of, a lot of justification that's, that's done about, well, it got people talking. Well, TNA did a lot of things that got people talking too, and they had to be bailed out. Um, anyway, we will, we will give an update on the latest from the post Vince McMahon world. Here's some cage match ratings. I have, I, I might have tweeted them by now, but I've refrained. I have made a conscious decision to not tweet about cage match ratings. I think there might be a WrestleNomics tweet up with this slide in it this morning. Um, but <clears throat> this is broken down by month here. This is as of, I believe, Friday nights. So this does not include the latest data from SmackDown or, or Rampage, I suppose. Um, but we have Raw careening down back to the, the Vince McMahon level in November. Although in, in October and September and August, it was better than any any of the other months year to date. Um, SmackDown is still up. In fact, it's by the cage match voters opinion. It is improving. Uh, it's up above a seven, whereas it was never in that territory in the Vince McMahon era. NXT is in September and October better than it was in, in the pre triple H era. Uh, November though, so far is more like the Vince era. And pay-per-views are, for the most part, on an average basis. On an average basis, uh, better. In fact, I think we have a a slide that better illustrates this. The Triple H era, in the first 112 days, sort of like the first 100 days of his presidency, the first 112 days of Triple H's head of creative uh, run, he is 24% better with Raw. He is 43% better on SmackDown. Again, this is cage match reception. 
18% better. Maybe we should have Shawn Michaels' face here. Anyway, but I think he's been booking it for quite some time. 18% better with NXT and only 7% better on the main roster premium live events. But that's just marks on cage match. What about TV ratings? Now this is, we'll look at this in a number of ways. But TV ratings in those first 112 days, Raw is up 4%, SmackDown is up 5%, NXT is up 13%. The demo is a similar story. But let's look at that. That's not fair. You got to look at it year over year. You got to look at it year over year to compare what Vince did in, in these months. Because TV ratings, especially in the case of Raw, we can all imagine. TV ratings year over year, you got to look at how Vince did it against football versus how Triple H is doing it against football. Let's look at it that way. Um, now, we're not just looking at football here. We're looking at the first 112 days, so July 22nd onward. And Raw's up 6%, SmackDown is up 7%. And I believe the demo is... Not as positive. The demo is more negative. It's even on Raw. Down 2% SmackDown. Down 20% NXT. But let's look at specific months. In specific months, it is weakening. Now, those comparisons in terms of their favorability for the Triple H era uh, is is weakening. We've got uh, SmackDown. SmackDown is up 2% so far in, in November. That's only one episode. Looks like this, based on the Fast affiliate, SmackDown did a, did a good rating on Friday. But you've got Raw down 5%. And the, the the demo somehow in this one week for SmackDown is down 14%, despite being up 2%. Um, NXT doing better. So it's a, it's a mixed picture in the more recent months, is my takeaway there. If people are curious, if you want to write a report that says, but the real comparison year over year, yes, TV, uh, pay TV is down 6%. 6% 6%, 7% Q2. So that's that's the rate of attrition for cable satellite and virtual MVPD pay TV. Um, it is accelerating. It was only down. Let me look at this. This is a larger macro conversation, but down five percent, down six percent. Now it's down seven percent in in Q two. We don't have Q three numbers yet. This is all from LGR Research, which is a which is a guy who goes through all the SEC filings for major. Uh, telecom companies and collects all the, the cable and satellite subscriptions. Um, so that's sort of the, the rate at which cable and satellite, USA Network, TNT, TBS, are losing subscribers. They're losing their reach. So their reach, I would say it's fair to summarize, is down 6 or 7%. So you'd expect these TV ratings to be down uh, if all other things were equal by about 6 or 7%, and they, they deviate, more or less, uh, from those numbers. So what does that mean? I guess by so that are, measure, yes. I was going to just ask you kind of bluntly, do you feel like the impact that Triple H, the positive impact that the Triple H change has had on WWE's um, viewership is starting to wane and it's starting to decline? It's not as strong as it once was a few months ago. I think in the first months in, in August and at least in September, including September 23rd, when they did that Bray Wyatt hype, there was, there were certainly some peak times where that, where their, their viewership in, in improved. Um, I guess it's, 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 it, these numbers tell you that it's waning in October. Mm -hmm. And if I were I to September as well, if I were to project now, my own assessment I guess product. real quick, I guess, I guess if I, any of these numbers that are small, any, anything that I guess is under like 6%, I would look at as 
any anything that is better than negative six percent, I would look at as kind of a net positive. Right, because they're not declining at the same rate as cable viewership. Yeah, and if you look at the actual viewership of programming, that's not news. It, it's yeah. worse than that. So. But wouldn't WWE fans be way more likely to be cable viewers than non WWE fans, non wrestling fans? I don't think so. Because they're wrestling fans. They have something that they're dedicated to watching on cable every week. So they're less likely. They should be theoretically less likely to cut the cord. I guess. But, like, I I, I don't sense that. I believe that TV viewership is – I don't know if this will be addressing your your point. But, like, I think TV viewership – people talk about TV viewership as if that number is the representation of the fan base. Which I think mm-hmm. is absurd. I think it's it's a representation of it, it is literally a representation of how many people on the, on an average throughout the course of the program are watching the show, and it's not a representation of how many people are engaged with the product. That's something different that is hard to define. People who, right, but if we're by, talking by engaged, about and I mean like they if we're talking the about whatever your your regular. Raw and SmackDown viewer, the person that by and large is watching either Raw or SmackDown or both every week out of habit and has been for decades. The core WWE audience viewer, that person is way more likely to have cable than the average American or the or or, or view or regular viewer because they have a clear investment in needing to subscribe to cable as opposed to someone who is not doing that. They're more likely to cut the cord because they're not watching some every week for three hours or five hours or whatever their habits of viewing are. I see what you're saying, but I would add that that assumes that everybody discovered their fandom through primarily through traditional television, which is increasingly not the case. Right. But if we're talking year over year declines, comparing them to the previous number, we are talking about people who are regular viewers. I'm not talking about the general fan base at large, but we're just looking at television viewership. We're not. We're talking about people who were regular viewers, who were consuming the product, who were paying their cable bill each month with the belief that they needed to to watch WWE's programming. Mm-hmm. And if WWE's programming became uh, less appealing to them, they would cut the cord. But it's one of those things where Dave used to always do these analyses where he would say, "Well, the raw number is actually good because WWE is not. A, they're not trophying the same way that the rest of cable is." But the WWE fan base by nature is way more likely to be cable subscribers than people who are just not WWE fans because WWE is one of the few things, really one of the few things with the exception of other live sports, really one of the few things that someone is going to feel like I need to have cable to watch because raw is on three hours every Monday. And that's what I've been doing for years to watch. So what you're saying is the, the notion that, okay, Cable is down 6% year over year. Mm-hmm. We should apply that to – we should keep that in mind when we look at numbers like like this. SmackDown, Raw is down by X percent year over year. But that's not as relevant to Raw or SmackDown or any other – any of these shows, I guess. Because people who watch those shows, people who watch those shows in October 2021 – were more likely to keep their cable subscription to not cut the cord because they watched those shows. Right. They have a very obvious commitment to subscribing to cable. And, okay, why why does USA give 
WWE a billion dollars. Why is that something that's that valuable? Why is Raw that valuable to USA and NBCU? Because it helps USA Network and NBCU justify subscription fees and advertising revenue. Right. They're counting on... They're counting on the presence of Raw and SmackDown or NXT or, if in Turner's case, Dynamite or Rampage. They're counting on those programs keeping people subscribed to cable and keeping them subscribed to those networks. Yeah. And so there is a responsibility on that end to – you can't just lump them into, I think, the rest of general cable because we're talking about really specific things as opposed to like um, – scripted content sitcoms or dramas which are really being split cut by and being moved to streaming services i think that raw and smackdown and the reason that they these companies are seeing this huge live tv live sports rights bubble go up is in part because of the value that they bring in retaining viewers year over year i don't know couldn't we apply an argument to any year of your comparison of any tv show you certainly could, but do you think? Do you feel? I feel like raw, like lot. If we're talking about something being classified as live sports, and something that has seen there the value the numbers. Go, by the way, that we're, we're looking at here, uh, and I'm not when I when I say any TV show, I mean any TV show is live plus same day viewership. Mm-hmm. And and we're talking about something that's seeing a huge bubble explode and the value of their product exploding in a way that maybe doesn't isn't happening for many other forms of traditional things that you used to see on television. I think it's relevant to look at, there's a bigger onus on shows like Raw and SmackDown to retain their viewership year over year than there is for maybe a scripted drama or a sitcom or other forms of television that have existed uh, over the years. Because in the, in the case of those scripted shows, there's their, their, their sort of their consumption is being attacked from a different angle more so than, live sports in that people may be watching it through other means, whether it's because that show is, is available to watch on some streaming service video on demand, as opposed to this, which is mostly consumed live. And you can use that. You can use that logic to look at other forms of television. You could say, um, Turner is paying or Warner Brothers discovery is paying X amount of money to have reruns the Big Bang Theory because they're counting on being the network that has Big Bang Theory reruns there on a week weekday nights, helping out their, you know, people are tuning in to see those things. And if their viewer interest in the Big Bang Theory reruns is down, you can hold them to the same standard because it's like we are making a sizable investment in putting you on the sh- on the on the network to kind of keep things in, in track. I guess there's an idea that there's less agency that most network programmings have over retaining their viewership that wrestling does not have and that there should be more responsibility put on shows like Raw and SmackDown to retain viewership or even grow viewership year over year than there would be for news programming or sitcoms or other forms of, of television. Why, why would it not be the same for news? You could say with news too. I mean, you could definitely say that, that like Fox news is getting on carriers because people are watching Fox news and people want it's to only live. I mean, people are, there's like I I don't know, but I assume there's basically zero percent DVR viewership of of CNN, Fox News, MSNBC. Oh, I don't know. What similar to sports in that people are almost only consuming it live. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. I could. It wouldn't surprise me if people are like DVRing like Tucker Carlson and watching it the next morning sure. or whatever. But I, but I think the the percentage is very low relative to 
Real Housewives or something like that, right. re- relative to scripted and unscripted TV series. Um, just just a trivia note. How much do you think Warner Media paid, which is now WBD, paid for Big Bang Theory uh, average annual value? Oh, I really don't know what this figure is going to be. And I feel like I've heard that like these syndicated shows are extremely valuable. This deal was made in I think 2019. So AAV, like I've heard there, I feel like I've heard that they're very valuable. So I'm going to guess something like 200 million dollars. 500 million over five years, so 100 yeah. million. That that would yes. be for to put this in wrestling context. That would be a lot more than than AEW. <laughs> um, right. There's there. That's like more than twice the value of AEW, mm-hmm. but about half the value of Raw. Now, does does Warner Brothers Discovery also get the Big Bang Theory library that they can show in their streaming service as part of that deal? Warner Media Group announced Tuesday, this is from 2019, announced that it has secured rights to the Big Bang Theory on its upcoming online platform, HBO Max. So I th- think we're talking about everything. That sounds uh, like Warner, it's Warner already for- agreed to shell out 425 million over five years. Or that's for friends. Um, I would have to. Would right. Have to these, these very popular television shows, specifically sitcoms, because their rewatchability value is extremely high. Um, and they put it on they, almost every night. For they me. have enormous values to streaming platforms and syndicated television and streaming platforms are the replacement for syndicated television. This is not the case anymore because they're not on that network. But do you you remember like, I I always remember like if you were to look at television ratings for like 11 PM midnight on cable, like family guy reruns airing on adult swim would always do extremely well. Now that doesn't really exist anymore because people will just turn it on whatever streaming service that has a library for episodes of Family Guy or episodes of The Simpsons or episodes of The Office or Friends or The Big Bang Theory. Those have enormous values to these streaming partners. Yeah, we're getting off topic now. Yeah, I'll I'll I'll, I'll restrain myself from bringing up what what the value questioning what the value of fast is. But anyway, uh, one one more one more Paul Levesque versus Vincent Van Point. Uh, we've got. 17 market-to-market comparisons for Raw and SmackDown. No house shows in consideration here. Just Raw and SmackDown. So in some cases, we may be comparing a SmackDown to a Raw or vice versa. We may also be comparing SmackDown to SmackDown, Raw to Raw. In any case, 17 market-to-market comparisons that we can make since July 22nd. And Paul Levesque has the advantage in 11 of them. Vince McMahon has the advantage in 6 of them. This is comparing the pre Triple H share that when Vince McMahon was head of creative versus when Triple H was head of creative and 11 out of 17, there is a higher tickets distributed according to WrestleTix than the last time they were, they were there in the Vince era. So ticket sales are up. Um, and we, we saw that like right after Triple H took over, uh, WWE did a lot of very impressive, particularly SmackDown shows were doing very, very impressive numbers. Um, you know, we, I mean, you can see them on the chart. Things like the New York shows doing thirteen thousand, the Madison Square Garden like sellout right after Triple H took over. Um, that was the massive show, the Boston show, which I don't think is on this chart because was that technic? Are you considering that a Vince McMahon show, like Boston. kind of Vince McMahon's last appearance? I guess that still was because Triple H wasn't in charge yet. So have they? The question is, have they done Boston Raw or SmackDown since? Right. So the first kind of 
show, like there was the Boston show where they put Vince McMahon on television. Thank you, Vince. Thank you, right. Vince. Right. I'm considering that that was before July 22nd, though, I think. Yeah, so that's not or being kind of, I remember that. Second. So I remember that show did very, very well um, in attendance. But the New York shows, remember the Ma- I remember the Madison Square Garden show right after that. Um, this isn't including those shows, but WWE did really big business, I think, in August or September running in Western Canada. They had huge shows, I think, at Edmonton and Winnipeg. Uh, right. There's no market. I think we're starting to see that kind of cool off a little bit, but you're definitely seeing big movement for, for WWE shows uh, in the Triple H era from attendance perspective. Um, so is, is that, I think we should raise the question. Is this waning in more recent times? So the most recent markets that they hit for Raw and SmackDown are Indianapolis, Wilkes-Barre, Dallas, St. Louis. And where are those on this chart? Wilkes-Barre was down. Mm-hmm. Indianapolis up was huge. up. Yeah, yeah, by a lot. By like 4,000. Do you know if that's a Raw raw to SmackDown? It was a Raw. It was a SmackDown this past Friday. It would take me too long to look it up. Um, And Dallas and St. Louis. Dallas down. St. Louis not on here. So St. Louis is not a market-to-market comparison that we can make. Charlotte is down. That was the, the Raw before that. Um, Toledo, up. Oklahoma City, up. I'm just going in reverse chronological order here. New Orleans, up. So there's a couple down, but some up. But it doesn't. It doesn't seem like it's. It's. It doesn't seem like the just the 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 Vince McMahon advantage examples are disproportionately nearer in time. Um. So the just. To clarify, the Indianapolis gap is a a raw on looks like February fourteenth, and then most recently the SmackDown that was in Indianapolis two days ago. Mm-hmm. And SmackDown has started to draw better than Raw, I think, for a number of reasons. The first being that SmackDown has way bigger stars, and secondly, it's on Friday, which is a traditionally better show to draw fans to at a live event for obvious reasons. Um, so not a fair comparison. It, 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 it obscures well, could, the fact. I could tell by the, the, the gap being almost, you know, okay. double what, what they had drawn that it was probably a SmackDown around. But if to, to get back to like, to me, if I, if I use my personal assessment of the product to then project to, to, to justify the trends that we're seeing here, which is always a dangerous task. So it's, just my brace for Bray Wyatt assassination. I'm ready. It's not. It has nothing to do with Bray Wyatt. Um, but it's Roman to me, disrespect incoming. To, to me, the shows um, are not hugely different under Triple H than they were under Vince McMahon. There are some changes you can point to, but by and large, the shows feel relatively similar to they did under the Vince McMahon era. I think that when Triple H first took over, there was a huge surge of optimism that the product was going to be significantly different. Um, And the cage match ratings can kind of reflect that uh, early on. But I think over time, we are seeing a slow kind of reversion back to the same Raw and SmackDown from a quality standpoint. And what we're not seeing is 
And we're starting to see that reflected in and maybe interest reverting back to the mid sick man levels. Okay. Um, all right. We, uh, do I have more things to talk about here? Oh, let's get to before I go on this adventure here. Um, let's, let's go to, we, we missed the super chat earlier from Delmar who asks, where do you see NBC, WBD and Paramount in three to five years? Um, that's, that is the question. These are the traditional players who don't have particularly strong streaming platforms. I guess WBD does have HBO Max. NBC does have Peacock. Um, there's been, just to, just to set the floor here, there, there's been discussion that maybe by 2024, when they would be legally able, maybe WBD and NBCU merge. Maybe Comcast, which owns NBCU, spins off NBCU. Um, maybe eventually the tech players, Amazon and or Apple, consume one of these companies. Maybe I think Fox is in this conversation, too. Um, I don't think it's going to happen anytime. Disney, yeah, I think Disney is less likely than the others to to merge. I know there, there is talk of that. Maybe they would spin ESPN away. Yeah. Um, I mean, if we're looking at like NBC or Comcast being absorbed by someone else. There's there's very few companies that would be large enough to absorb a company the size of Comcast. And so you'd really be looking at like one of the handful of tech giants. And who knows what that landscape is even going to look like in three to five years. The, the thing, if we're looking at just like streaming services or just like the power of their network television, not as much Warner Brothers Discovery, but NBC and Paramount Plus both have very strong ties with sports um, obviously the NFL being the primary one, but NBC also has things like the Olympics. Paramount also has um, things like college football, college basketball. And so even though their streaming platforms maybe lack the um, notoriety that something like Netflix has or a Disney plus even has as far as like having original programming or, or things like that, that people want to watch the fact that they are the home of our biggest things that we have in television, which are sports, which specifically NFL football, I think does give them in some ways a leg up over other entities in that if push comes to shove and network television goes, starts to totally decline as something, the, these companies that have long-term ties with the NFL and have made consistently competitive bids with the NFL and have long-term contracts with the NFL could easily slide a majority of their NFL programming onto their exclusive streaming services and be very successful at doing so. I, I think I think the big question is whether whether Amazon or Apple. I'm not sure about. We're I'm I'm really getting into. A, a level that's above the wrestling business here mm -hmm. where I feel less, less like I know what I'm talking about, but I don't know if Netflix is big enough to consume one of these or maybe merge. It's more likely. Um, but I think the, just thinking about it, like just from a stock speculation perspective, and by the way that like all these companies are down, I, I believe worse than the indexes. WBD is down really strongly mm -hmm. since, since it sort of started a, a new ticker. But right. Well, they also have the merger, and they also have huge debt payments that become associated with the merger. But I, but I think that if I were just thinking about buying these stocks, I don't own any of these stocks. No plans initiating such positions. But I, I would 
I would not want to buy these stocks right now because I think there's still, especially in this environment where everybody seems to believe there's a recession on the horizon, I would not want to buy these stocks because I think they're going to be cheaper later. So why, why acquire any of this now when I can probably, if I want to, buy it later? And there's not any, any urgency reason why it's, it's in, my, in my advantage to own it now rather than later. You know, and they are losing value. So just let them, let them get skinnier and maybe I'll, I'll buy them later for a lot less than it would cost to buy them now. Um, but I do think consolidation among these players and maybe including Fox, depending on what happens with News Corp, that these, these, these assets, these companies are going to end up being consolidated somewhat inevitably. Okay. Um, oh, there's more. There's another super chat from NJ from NJ who asks, uh, Brandon as an Amazon investor, which I, which I am, do you want them following Comcast or Viacom? is paramount comcast or paramount strategy do i do you want them do i want them following comcast or paramount's strategy and content which is what um which which is what what is their strategy in in content um i don't know what what what, what you mean by that mj from mj you have any guesses jesse no Okay. If you want to add what you mean by that, MJ, we'll we'll, we'll address it. But I think along these lines, I think there's there's an interesting question about whether or not Amazon is going to continue to buy, continue to occupy nights of the week. They've already established Thursday with the NFL, and I think WWE offers them some interesting options in terms of Monday or Friday or anywhere if they want to put SmackDown anywhere. MJ says spend, develop streaming, take on the costs at the cost of the rest of the business you invested in. Um, spent. Well, they're already, they're already doing that. Like they're losing money hand over fist on both Peacock and Paramount plus. Mm-hmm. So they are spending a lot of money and using streaming as a loss leader while their existing core content or their core business is, is still profitable. And what's um, Amazon doing? Is Amazon not doing the same thing? Is Am I supposed to believe that Amazon Prime Video is a profitable, isolated business? I highly doubt it. It's subsidized by a massive retail business, e-commerce business, web services business, which is what Amazon primarily is. And this mm-hmm. is an investment that may pay off in the future that can be subsidized and can, can afford to, to fail, um, unlike those traditional players that Delmar brought up that are – that that's what they are content companies and distribution companies so okay um as i throw random super chats on the screen here um i'm debating whether to just wrap it up here we'll 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 save the 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 the, the tokyo dome discussion which we kind of already did on thursday anyway uh do you have any 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 plugs jesse what's what's the tokyo domes the the okay if you insist, we will. The, uh, the, the Tokyo, here's the Tokyo Dome exterior for people watching on YouTube. This is what the building looks like on the outside. And this is what it looks like on the inside. So everyone gets my joke now. This is the sumo hall on the, on the inside. Soraya uh, said that she wrestled in the Tokyo Dome this past Wednesday. Uh, she, 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 she did correct herself on, on Twitter that she actually wrestled in the sumo hall. Um, but it, it brought to mind for me. I mean, look at all these relationships that um, WWE is, is forming. With with uh, all these these wrestling companies around rem- around Japan, um, do you remember? This is probably something people most people don't remember, but uh, I knew Soraya's faux pas would not go unnoticed 
by yes. the fans who would the fans who would be impressed by Soraya saying that she wrestled in the Tokyo Dome would be the same. I sent you a screenshot of, of Cage Match as you were there in Boston. You she, she thinks Yes. Right. I sent a Kate. I, first thing I did when she said that I was live in attendance, this shows how big of a nerd I am, is despite the fact that I was watching that promo, I whipped out my phone, went on Cage Match, typed in, found her profile, typed in Tokyo Dome to make sure that there was nothing on there, and then tweeted out that there was nothing from her appearance in Tokyo Dome. Um, but the people who would be impressed by Soraya saying that would be the same people who would um, remember that she wasn't actually ever wrestling at the Tokyo Dome. Hmm. I remember they were wrestling at Sumo Hall. This would have been uh, the, do you remember the Brock Lesnar, uh, the Beast in the East, the yes. Brock Lesnar, like, yes. network special that they had at, from Sumo Hall? And I remember on that show, Michael, was on Cole, that, I believe. Yes. Michael Cole said that Sumo Hall was the biggest arena in Japan. It was the biggest arena that they had in Japan. And of course, everyone on my snarky, Twitter was like, oh, Michael Cole said this. That's not true. What about the Tokyo Dome? But it does show why Paige maybe have been confused because she thought she wrestled at the biggest venue in Japan, which is the Tokyo Dome, or at least the biggest indoor venue of the Tokyo Dome. It actually might not even be, be the biggest indoor venue in, in, in Japan. It could be another one of the baseball domes. I mean, Budokan is, it can seat more. Right. If we're talking about arenas, Budokan is bigger than Raikoko Kokokan, the Sumo Hall. So, Ryogokukukukikan, yes. So, um, you know, it, it, I thought it was, it's a funny, it's funny that she corrected herself. I would say that it, there are other issues all, with that problem. There are other brought to mind for me. As I, as I joked, I, I can remember when, uh, when Brock Lesnar wrestled Kofi Kingston, the sold out Tokyo Dome. Um, but it, but it brought to mind, I mean, look, look at, look at what, um, W is allowing Nakamura to do. And, um, you know, if, uh, and look at what they're maybe going to allow Carl Anderson to do in New Japan to defend the, the never open weight title. Um, and, it, and it brought to my comments that Nick Khan made on the earnings call a couple of weeks ago, talking about how when, when people go to our major live events, it makes it easier for us to sell our media rights. He mentioned in this conversation, mentioned the UK, which they've already done in the Cardiff show, but they mentioned Canada, the APAC regions, the Asia Pacific region, um, and Australia. These all make sense. Um, it, it, it made me think about what, well, if you if you think about a wrestling company that that brings people together, and uh, you know maybe they could even ha- finally have a five star match, and this is there's precedent for this. Think about the the WWF Wrestling Summit in the Big Egg Tokyo Dome where they they brought together all Japan Pro Wrestling and New Japan Pro Wrestling in 1990. I don't know how the attendance did. I don't think the attendance did very well. But why 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 not? Why couldn't it happen? Um, this is merely speculation, and then sort of fun we're just having fun here but that you know maybe they could do a a tokyo dome show a major ple brandon who could forget the wwe super world sports mega shows in japan that's true hulk hogan and jenny Jiro tenryu teaming up hogan and tenryu when are they being on the when are they going to appear in the wrestling observer newsletter hall of fame ballot as tag team that's the tag team they teamed on that show is that what happened yeah they were that was like the big selling point was there um, but um but I don't, I don't think it's inconceivable. I don't know if W would do it, but I, but I do think they could sell it to Tokyo Dome if they could cooperate with the likes of New Japan, Pro Wrestling, Noah, Stardom, DDT, which is something I, at least thinking about it for a minute, I could, I could see happening, especially considering the, these are big companies and they do have some cooperation at the moment with Noah. 
Maybe so, some cooperation with New Japan. You could certainly mm, see them being interested in stardom. My understanding is that there are pretty strict restrictions put on Noah on how they can actually advertise Shinsuke Nakamura and how can, they can discuss him. And I don't, I don't know the, remember the specifics of it, but I believe Dave's reported on them about how they can say w, how they can't, what, what instances they can say WWE, what instances they can't. I believe they can't really market him as a WWE star wrestling on their show. I don't know if the announcers will be able to say WWE, the words WWE. I don't know. Like there are pretty strict restrictions on the promotion. So I don't know if it's like, if, if we're talking about like a Nick Khan grand scheme of getting the WWE brand onto these other shows, they have kind of a funny way of going about it. If they're going to put the kibosh on how Noah can advertise a wrestler like Nakamura. And we have seen them in the past. We saw them use Kenta, um, yeah, for they've allowed him to go back to Japan and wrestle on certain for, shows, for and Marufuji's like twenty year anniversary, right? And that Carl Anderson is going to go back to presumably go back to Japan and drop the Never Open Weight Championship. Um, the, the integrity of of the Never Open Weight title, I think that's that's on the list of Nikon's priorities, perhaps. Yeah. Um, so when that, honestly, I don't think Nick Khan cares at all about that stuff. I think that's a Triple H or maybe a Bruce Pritchard and other people in the company's call about how they should be representing the brand on other wrestling promotions. I don't think Nick Khan could care at all about Carl. Oh, he, Nick Khan's not going down there and saying, Carl, I just can't do a job to Hikaleo. Like, <laughs> like that's, Nick Khan might not know who Carl Anderson is for real. Um, I, I, he probably know. I think Nick Khan watches the show. I think he knows who he is, right. but. But, go much but he's yeah. I don't think he really cares about the, that kind of thing. I think that's more of a Triple H or not, maybe other people working in the wrestling capacity of the company would say. Um, but we've seen them like when they signed Samoa Joe to NXT a few years ago. Remember Samoa Joe, I believe, wrestled a Ring of Honor event after he had been signed by NXT because they have allowed people to appear on their show, but also finish up their and, dates, and finish their bookings. That, that's been a long right. thing. Yeah. Triple H. um you could have just said, why couldn't they wait for Carl Anderson to drop the title and then come in? That would defeat Triple H's main booking. That would get in the way of Triple H's main booking philosophy of needing to have a return every week in order to get people talking about what he's doing, as opposed to any storyline construction, which he's not doing. Um, and so I think that's part of the, the challenge as well. And maybe we'll see more people coming in. But did this, uh, I don't know, we talked about this on Thursday. I think it's, it's, it's an interesting thought to think about like if they're looking around the world to look at all these big international markets that they could maybe run a ple in uk they've done maybe germany maybe australia i've called france maybe they did, did a really big house show in paris that had over ten thousand people at it apparently mm -hmm. um underserved markets by live attended wrestling now in japan they don't really have any tv beyond i think they have some exposure on on samurai tv Maybe something else, but they've whatever TV they had previously, they've lost. I think it was through DAZN. But um, if they want to build a stronger media presence and stronger media revenues in Japan, maybe that's something they could do. And maybe part of doing that would be putting on a massive show in Japan, which I don't know if they could sell as a huge ticket event on their own. But if they sold it as you know other wrestling companies cooperating with wwe i think that would sell do something like sell the tokyo dome mm, perhaps it's it's japan currently as a market for selling tickets to a lot live event is is down pretty hard 
from the, where they were even a few years ago. And the pandemic has taken a big number on things like lab attendance. So selling out the Tokyo Dome, I don't know if anyone could sell out Would the people Tokyo be Dome. allowed to cheer? This is a bigger question. Not if they sold out the Tokyo Dome, certainly not. Maybe if they were at half attendance. But at some point in the future. Some point in the future. Um, anyway, I, I just like, wanted to, to reminisce about... Uh, we, we all remember when, when Vince McMahon taught Jushin Liger basically everything he knows and told him to go to the ring. And uh, the classic between Mitsuharu Misawa and Bret Hart, Hulk Hogan, and Stan Hansen. Of course, there's, there's precedent for all this. And then in the, in the time that Shohai Baba shook Vince McMahon's hand, and I think he quickly turned to stone after, after these, these, these incidents. But yeah. uh, Bret Hart buries Misawa in his book, too. What do, does he? Yeah. He just, he's like, yeah, I had to wrestle the new Tiger Mask, this kid Misawa. He was no, uh, oh, why am I forgetting the first one's name? What's Tiger Mask's, what's the original Tiger Mask's first name? Satoru Sayama? Yeah, he was no, he's like, he's no Sayama. This new boy doesn't know how to work. So he wrote his book. Okay. Um, we have one more super chat before we go from Delmar. If these smaller media companies did consolidate what happens to WWE and AEW, and are all those cable channels kept and controlled under one umbrella? AW clearly goes out of business and goes under and goes away forever. No, um, I think I don't. If if WBD and NBCU merge, while those two wrestling companies are primarily on NBCU and WBD respectively, um, it could result in one of them finding a new home in the next round. I don't think it results in any sort of immediate throwing them off the network or anything mm-hmm. stupid and dramatic like that. But it could result in, in a, let's say, a merged NBCU and, and WBD. It could result in AEW finding a new TV home after after their their then-current deal expires. Or it could just result in both of them coexisting in the same media ecosystem. Yeah, maybe we get a... valuable to the strategy of the networks that are using that content. We get a AEW versus WWE Wrestle Summit in the the Big Egg Dome in the Tokyo Dome. Could have a super show there. Yeah. Soldier Field or something. No, uh, Tokyo Dome has to be the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> so we're going to achieve five stars. Yes. Okay. We should go. Football's almost on. Do you want to plug anything, Jesse? Uh, no, just you know, follow me on Twitter at Jesse Collins for now. We'll see how long my Twitter profile lasts. Um, Are you going to delete it? Are you you're mad at Elon? I think it's in the, for the best to, I think, wean myself slowly off of Twitter. I'm probably on it way too much in general. And honestly, like the the Elon Musk and kind of the, the short in fruit that's, that's gone on um, there is, is kind of like a, maybe a, a positive wake-up call and saying, you know what, you should be curbing your Twitter usage anyway. Um, but it, it, it is like a – there's like some sort of like populist – Schrodenfrud, is that how you say it? In, mm-hmm. in, in, in like watching the literally the richest man on earth prove himself to be a fool, <laughs> at least in this instance. Um, yeah. um, Wrestling's over Hall of Fame ballot are due. I believe my ballot has been submitted. I'm done. Wow. Whoa. Ballots are due. I think Tuesday. Do you, do you want me to read my ballot all live on air right now? Go go for it. I should probably put put this on the premium tier, but anyway. Let me, let me pull it up just so I don't totally interrupt. Uh, but I was I – was, the, the ballots are due on the 15th. But I was concerned. I had a very busy week planned, so I was concerned I wasn't going to publish it um, at all. So my, uh, my ballot this year – so I voted in the historical performers. I actually ended up voting for a few more people than I 
was planned on doing. I voted for Wild Bull Curry. I voted for Johnny Rougeau, and I voted for Tiger Jeet Singh. In the modern performers category, I only voted for Paul Orndorff. In Japan, I used my five maximum votes. I voted for Koda Abushi, Tomohiro Ishii, Tetsuya Naito, Shingo Takagi, and Shima. You you forgot the Holy Demon Army. Yeah, I didn't vote for HDA. I didn't actually forget them. I just decided not to vote for them for other reasons. And then for the non-wrestlers, I voted for Bobby Bruns. I voted for Bobby Davis. I voted for Morris Siegel. I voted for George Scott. And I voted for Grand Wizard. And no Lucha or other regions category. Do not vote in Mexico or rest of the world. Thankfully, because that would be a nightmare to go through all that research. Okay. I I am tentatively voting for June Byers, maybe Wild Bull Curry. Doing some reading on him last night. Um, CM Punk. I think that's it for US. Um, I have compromised on, on my age. Uh, my, my, my age hesitancy, my age snobbery. Um, maybe Kota Ibushi, definitely Ishii, most likely Naito, no, no Takagi, no anybody else though. Uh, Mystico, Sangre Chikana, again, and Jim Johnston and Reg Parks. That's it. A real aesthetic push in the uh, non-wrestler category. Going yes. for the music and the belts. Yeah, I, I just yeah, I think those are the two. Oh, Grand Wizard, Grand Wizard. No, Bobby Davis. You're going to vote for Grand Wizard, not Bobby Davis. I you you tell me what to read about Bobby Davis. Read um, uh, Greg Oliver's piece on Bobby Davis right after he died. He's the pioneer of the manager, being right? a manager. He invented the role of the motormouth, arrogant manager that talks for people who can't talk and was responsible for some of the largest gates, including the largest gate in wrestling history as the primary point man in the Pat O'Connor versus um, Buddy Rogers match at Comiskey Park in 1961. The largest, the largest gate in wrestling that he, I didn't know he was at WrestleMania 32. He was, I, I said, did I say in history? I said up until that time. That's what I meant. I figured that's what Yeah. He was also okay. at WrestleMania 32. Okay. Okay. We've talked all enough. Thanks everybody for listening. Um, I will. Oh, you can also if you're if you're in the New York, New Jersey area, you can go to the post wrestling five year anniversary show. There's tickets available at postwrestling.com slash live. I will be there. It's at QXT's nightclub, which is just down the street from Full Gear at the Prudential Center um, at 1 p.m. Just hours before Full Gear. Um, if you want to meet me and say hi, and I will I will bump your fist if you want if you want. Um, that's all talk to you next time